The Dr. Bo Show, performance, sport, health, adventure. The goal isn't necessarily to live to 100. It's to be able to go 100 miles per hour while you truly live. We're back for a somewhat special edition. It's been a long time since it's been De Beard's. And yeah. plus a year. She's never been well, she's been on the week interview, but you can actually see her. I'm gonna tilt the Oh my goodness. There she is. We're gonna keep her out of focus, they're just gonna mess us all up. Baby Maddox. Um but she definitely hasn't been out of focus for the first well she's almost been ten months. Focus. Yeah, for the first ten months of her life. Uh so we wanted to pop in. Today is January first, twenty twenty one, and believe it or not, coronavirus is still here. I thought it was going to just disappear, um, or I think a lot of people did. Uh, but this isn't about COVID or New Year's resolutions or... I think we're all about sick of COVID. Yeah. But what I want to talk about is we should have been doing this every month if we were smarter, but we're a little busy, busy because of the thing we're going to talk about. So I wanted to do a 10 months in podcast. So Maddox will be 10 months old as of uh, January 10th. And you're gonna hear her interjecting. Um, thought that was apropos for this podcast. So, uh, ten months in, and we're just gonna cover some general topics: movement, sleep, diet, and then this, that, or the other, and maybe some challenges. So we're gonna dive right in. Uh, anything you wanna talk about Gosh. as far as I don't want a 2020 review. No, well, uh, for today being January first, just reflecting on 2020. 2020 was the hardest year of my life but the best all at the same time. I think a lot of people can probably say that, but I think we'll get into some of the hardships of 2020. And it was hard for everyone, but really complicated by first time mom, first time parent. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. We have, I have differing opinions on why we say stuff's hard, but like- uh, Just cause hard doesn't, doesn't mean it was negative. Yeah, It, was, it was amazing. Point. Yeah. So I think some of the best things in life are, are challenges. Yeah. So let's dive into movement. So just update on movement milestones. She just started crawling, what, three days ago? Three days ago, yeah. yeah. And she's in the background again. We're not having it. You're going to hear a lot. We're having a blockader from power outlets and all other chairs. things. She loves wheelie chairs. Create this movement laboratory down here with all our fun rehab tools since we're in the office. Um, but started crawl. And as you know, or may not know, uh, like I said, she's almost 10 months old. Here's a little Maddox. We'll bring her into the picture. Um, she might want to wear these headphones at one point. Uh, you know, that's some babies. Oh, I'm going to call it Sloan. Sloan's already ultra competitive with her about, and a lot of that's fostered what she did say by social media that, you know, you see your friends, babies doing X, Y, Z, or, you know, somebody's baby started walking at eight months old or something. Well, I wouldn't say this is completely what I specialize in, but studying what's called DNS or dynamic neuromuscular stabilization, that's, we use the model of developmental kinesiology, how we all moved or how 70% of us all moved and 30% are off, just a little off of this pretty normal trajectory of movement, right? That goes through developmental phases and we can almost, well, we do use those as developmental milestones, but most babies are going to hit them in order and the variant um, around 
to 25% variant normal amount of time. So usually two weeks to a month around that time frame. So, you know, it's, it's difficult for us to explain to maybe friends or family sometimes that we're just letting her do her thing and take the time because we don't want to allow her to use, you know, walkers or jumpers or, you know, teach her to walk or bouncers, exercisers, sit her up early, Cheers. which seems weird because a lot of parents are just like, what you, or friends or whoever it is would say, well, no, it's normal. Like if they can do it, they can do it. Well, if they can do it on their own, they can do it. And yeah, there's, you know, certain things we've sat her up, you know, at certain points where she didn't get there on her own. But, um, you know, we had one of my mentors, Brett Winchester, our mentor, Brett Winchester down here, and he definitely specializes in DNS and developmental kinesiology and pediatrics. And I mean, he used Maddox as an example and it's kind of funny cause she had just turned nine months old. Uh, it was, yeah, about ready to turn nine months old. And he came in and he's going through his thing and he goes, yeah, so she's a perfectly healthy, normal six and a half month old baby. And I was like, she's nine months old. He's like, oh, it's a normal variant. <laughs> Six weeks. <laughs> she was also sick, so she wasn't playing all her games, but um, he was picking that up from movement. Now, if you looked at like things like uh, pathologic or not pathologic, uh, primitive reflexes and things like that, like all those were completely normal. But that once you get outside the window of like six months, the reflexes don't tell you as much as movement does anymore because most of those should be either absent or present. And then you get outside of this timeline. Um, she's chewing on a metal washer back here. She's, she's good. Fine, just getting her iron. Um, so yeah, she's crawling, uh, getting extremely frustrated. So she's very, I would say, impatient, like her dad, me, and that frustration comes out through her inability to do what she wants movement wise. That, uh, you know, she wants to go places, she wants to get things, and she can't, but that's the driver for movement for the most part is that you're trying to accomplish a goal that you can, you have to try, try, try and fail and fail and fail until you succeed. Um, but yeah, basically with movement, I just wanted to kind of say where she's at. Uh, you know, there were certain times since she's been born that, you know, all babies have a predilection, like a side that they turn towards, but hers was really uh, aggressively ingrained. Which way was it, left? To the right. Or Maybe she was turning to the left to with left. the right side up. Yeah. Um, so we were, you know, we we're trying to stimulate her, get her to turn her head. Um, you Which, know, just, you know, that could have been the whole time she was in the womb, she was in the yeah. same position. That was kind of what was keeping her from descending down birth well, and, canal and all that stuff. So, and there's theories about sidedness in the womb and, you know, neurologic dominance as far as handedness and visual things. And I mean, there's a lot that nobody really knows that's all postulation. So there are a lot of things that are set, uh, you know, very early on, even genetic, you know, predispositions for these things. Uh, but for the most part, pretty normal, right? Some, uh, some of the decisions that Bo and I made based off of what we know uh, with biomechanics really made, gosh, our, probably our parenting a little bit more difficult, like this first year a little bit more difficult than what modern conveniences allow for. Um, so I found myself every once in a while kind of Gosh, life would be so much easier if I could just put her in a, one of the extra saucers or something like that. But I'm really glad at this point, at 10 months now, um, she's starting to crawl and she's starting to do these things that that do kind of make it a little bit easier. Or she's less frustrated. I'm, I'm glad that we stuck to our guns and did it the way that we wanted to from the beginning. So a lot of people question why I did this, but we never used any kind of seats. 
So we didn't use a bumbo. We didn't use uh, like a sit me up. Um, and that was intentionally because we wanted to wait for her to be able to sit on her own first. Uh, so I just had a lot of parents, whenever I'd say, they'd, they'd go, oh, do you have a bumbo? I'm like, no, we chose not to. Um, or gosh, you, um, why don't you use a, a walker or a bouncer? Uh, you can get so much stuff done if she's in that bouncer. She's gonna love it. But um, it was, we feel like it was the best thing for her spine, her hips, um, her movement patterns later in life. And um, so I'm glad that we kind of stepped our guns with that. Uh, all that to be said, just because you put your kid in a bumbo or a walker or a bouncer doesn't mean they're messed up automatically. Yes, yes. And the other thing is you could try to do everything perfect. Mm -hmm. It is completely normal for around 30% of children to fall outside of the normal uh, time frames of development or have something that does require treatment, right? The, you know, whatever you're going to call it, pediatric physical therapy or, you know, coming to somebody like us that, you know, um, you have to kind of, you know, whatever that, you know, what do we want to call that, you know, congenital issue, genetic, you know, predisposition or environmental things that got, you know, thrown off a little bit, but pretty normal, a lot of drive to figure stuff out. She's checking herself out. Um, but also think of movements as uh, other things too, like part of one of the th next things we're gonna talk about is, you know, diet, eating is a movement, um, speaking or sound. So, uh, you know, I would say Maddox is pretty vocal. I mean, I haven't had other children of my own, but when you look at kind of the time frames and when she started to mimic words and things like that, like just before we got on here, I turned around and she was making noise and I said, what? And she goes, what? Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, and she says, you know, dad and dog and all that stuff. It's totally normal. Like kids should have about five words at this age that they're kind of like pulling from. Um, but that's a movement, right? Speech is a movement uh, from vocal cords and tongue and mouth. Uh, and those things are dependent on some anatomy, right? Like Sloan made a good point the other day that she needs, you know, teeth to make a T sound or an S. Um, so those are, those are all still movements. So those are windows into what's going on too. It's not just like, you know, crawl, walk, sit, stuff like that. Um, so talking about diet, uh, for at least the last seven or first seven months, I should say, Maddox was uh, completely breastfed, right? There's nothing else going on except maybe the occasional bit of wine that gets transferred through that breast milk. But uh, just a bit. Uh, she is what? Maybe the last two months, less than that, maybe. Is we're doing a little more uh, baby-led weaning, and yeah, um, she may need to get fed right now. Uh, a little more baby led weaning. So, you know, if we're eating something, we let her try pretty much everything. I mean, you know, there's certain things that aren't good options. I mean, things that kind of seem like they make sense, but I'll still cover them. Um, anything with added sodium. So, you know, like certain types of meat, sausage, bacon, things like that. Um, anything that's extremely spicy, obviously. And then, you know, they're, they're still- She can't have honey. Oh, no honey. <laughs> yeah. Um, why? Uh, possibility bot of bot uh, botulism. botulism, which mm, I don't know. Uh, either way, there are things that you don't want to open up a risk too much like that. But at the same time, there's, I don't know if it's so much a debate because a lot of people follow it now that, you know, the things that sometimes children in society now are highly allergic to peanut butter, um, shellfish, uh, other kinds of tree nuts that at a certain point, not too long ago, 
people were told to keep their children away from those at all costs, right? That that was uh, too big of a risk to go down that path. But now they're looking at it more of kind of like a, uh, you know, whatever you want to call like a titration, yeah, early exposure, kind of like like if you were getting allergy injections for a you know dog that we want to introduce them to these foods early so they kind of start to, from an uh, immunological standpoint, recognize the proteins and the proteins don't get seen as a intruder and it's kind of something that they can handle. Because a lot of the things that we end up being allergic to, uh, A, have a high histamine count, right? Like tree nuts and things like that. That's a protective mechanism of the plant. But it's also the other things in these plants, like in, in particular peanuts, have a lot of aflatoxin, which is a, a mold or a toxin that is kind of coming out of uh, the mold that's grown on these things. Some people believe that that sets your body up for a greater histamine reaction and then these kind of play off one another. So uh, largely breastfed, uh, you know, I don't want to go too down, much down that rabbit hole. I mean, there's an entire podcast. She's telling me to put my mask on. Uh, a lot of podcasts on you know all general parenting stuff. I just kind of wanted to tell you what we've been doing because that's we're just giving a rear or I was gonna say a rear view, a year in review of kind of the De Beard's parenting experiment, which it is. I will say uh, Rhonda Patrick from Found My Fitness. She has a whole review uh, article, but also it's in a podcast form as well on um, basically a lit review on on breastfeeding of why it's important for the mother, why it's important for the baby, and what it, how it impacts them later in life. And I found that really, really interesting. Um, breastfeeding in the beginning is so, so challenging. I remember telling Bo that it's the most, other than just growing a, a human and, and birthing a human, it's the most selfless thing I've ever done. And um, hearing Rhonda Patrick's review on it, gave me a lot of motivation and encouragement to keep going. So I highly recommend that. It's, I think it's about 45 minutes. It's a really good review. Sorry, Sloan's going to be the cutoff head because Maddox does not like to sit while you hold her. Um, yeah. So she's kind of having to stand. So not a whole lot we can do about that right now. But this is a podcast on parenting, so deal with it. Um, a little bit more on diet, and this really is all topics, and then we'll get into the next one of sleep where Sloan and I talk about this the most, that, um, you know, there's a lot of books, and there's a lot of podcasts, and there's a lot of blogs, and there's a lot of opinions, even from people who are seemingly experts, but the whole thing is that if you look at a lot of these things, they've come from not N equals one, but, you know, maybe N equals five, like somebody had five kids, this thing worked really well, they told their friends it worked really well, and then they write a book, like... That's still anecdotal and then to get to frustrate yourself to no end with even things that have a large sample size, you know, if we're talking about, you know, something that's been studied in RCT or something like it's still kids are individuals like all of us and nothing is going to you know work like clockwork. So, you know, diet's one of those things like, you know, you I don't know, maybe somebody's tried baby lead winning and their baby won't eat anything but baby food. Right. We just actually started giving her some of the pouches of, you know, this kind of organic food, um, you know, meat and vegetable mixes. I mean, she loves it, right? So now it's like, well, should, we, should we give her more of that or just keep feeding her what we're doing? Because the big part of baby led weaning is it's not so much a nutrition thing. It's more of a palate builder, right? That they're sampling all these things, seeing what they like. And then 
you're also trying to literally build their palate, like start to get them to masticate yeah. and chew. And, and motor control, like picking yeah. up their own food. And But like I said, nothing, you know, fits a mold, even if it's, you know, been studied, like you still got to put these things into practice, see what works for you. And probably one of the biggest ones that, I mean, Sloan read a bunch of, you know, things on this, articles and was sleep and, you know, how often should they sleep sleep schedules where how you know what position where should they sleep with a separate room all this stuff um i mean ton of info and probably i would say the seemed like the most debated thing right the thing that had the most different varying opinions of like what's the best way to do it which then when we talked to our parents they're like well it's just funny how things have changed over time that it's been you know uh used to be oh you got to have the baby sleep on their stomach you know because that prevents SIDS well then you got to have them sleep on their side that was like Sloan's generation and then now it's like well they need to sleep on their back and now we're seeing like plagocephaly and so it's kind of it's just funny to see how stuff changes based on like oh we did this for a while and this messes this up while it may help this and it's kind of like probably more so like I tell my patients that come into me and they're like um, I got this like cervical pillow and I tried to sleep perfectly on my back, but you know what? It's terrible and I don't sleep. And the best thing you can do is sleep, right? Get in a position that you can sleep in. Um, there may be reasons that you sleep in a funky position, right? Airway occlusion, things like that. But if we're talking about a baby, in my opinion, just like you go through developmental kinesiology, you're rarely going to pick something that's detrimental movement wise. You're not going to see a kid just like, you know, hanging out with his, unless something's really wrong. Right? So think about sleep like that. Why in the world, and we'll give the counter argument to this really quick, why in the world would an organism that is designed to adapt and, you know, be, oh, I'm trying to focus two people on a baby, That's, that could be the name of a book right there. Um, why would an organism that's built for adaptation and evolution or to evolve, you know, appropriately and positively, sleep in a position that's gonna harm them? I think we've been fed a, a big line of like, yeah, you got to do this perfect. You got to sleep in this position. Like, it's just not true. Now, counter argument to that. Did humans evolve to sleep on cushy mattresses? No, we slept on the ground, which probably defaulted us to certain positions, which most people would say was on our side. Um, so it wasn't on your back. If you look at breathing studies and sleep studies, people sleeping on their back, even normal, healthy people without clinical di or clinically diagnosed sleep apnea still have some airway occlusion sleeping on their back. So maybe we're not designed to sleep like that. Maybe it's on our side. That being said, gets far beyond position and you know scheduling, but let's go through what we did. So when Maddox was very small, which is still super small, but like we're talking, you know, first 12 weeks, slept in a bassinet in our room by the bed because that was easy for breastfeeding. It was easy height for transfer. Um, Quickly after using the bassinet early on, we started using, uh, what's that sleep thing that we put in there? What would you call that? It's similar to a docketon, yeah. which... It's like a little donut for a baby. But we did that so she couldn't... We didn't... Which she, a lot of people's gonna have a, they're going to have a hard time well, with. And they can have a hard time. Unsafe sleep, but... Yeah, but... She slept. Because she didn't really like to be swaddled. At first, right. it seemed like she did, but she really didn't. But then her and even a bassinet, which is huge to a, you know an infant... We put her in that and she felt more secure. She'd sleep awesome, right? And to me, she couldn't, she always liked to sleep on her side, but she would roll into the side of a bassinet, which she still did later on, and then like sleep against the netting that kind of almost looks like my hat here. Like, I wasn't a fan of that because I just, 
again, I don't think she's doing that on purpose. She's just trying to sleep on her side and rolling into the, the side of the bassinet. So that's what we used early on. Then we got rid of the dock Todd as she got bigger, kept her in the bassinet, still in her room until about six months old. At six months exactly. So six months, we moved her, and we had moved houses by this time. So her nursery was across the house from us now. Not a big house, but... Um, so the first night that we put her in her crib, which is at six months old, she slept through the night, no problem, right? We have monitors and all that stuff. And that's what she's been doing since. Um, that first night was so great. Yeah, because you just don't know, and you're, it's a little weird. And, but we it were, was better for us, too, because we have two dogs, and the dogs... Yeah, we were keeping up. each other awake. I mean, us all sleeping in the same bedroom, we would, her wake, her stirring would wake me up and then I would get nervous. A dog stirring would wake her up. And so that first night, I think was the first night in a really long time that I think I got a really great night of sleep. Um, and Maddox is about ready to take a nap right now. She's getting pretty tired. So again, I apologize if it's annoying to hear a baby, but part of parenting, man. Um, that's, that's our life. So sleep schedule wise, we, you know, guidelines on how much sleep they need and, you know, how many times they should nap and things like that. We are not the parents that have developed a structured sleep pattern of napping. Now, there's times when we can tell that she's tired, that then we encourage nap, right? Take her a walk, uh, take her away from people, you know, Sloan may breastfeed her, which, you know, people would have an opinion about that. But all you have to say about this is, why would an organism that defaults to sleep, to reset, to recover, to rest, not do that normally, right? Why would we have to put somebody in a perfectly dark room for a certain period of time, let them cry themselves asleep until they figure out that they're tired? I don't, that doesn't make any sense to me, right? I don't, if one of the, one, this has been studied, one of the worst things you can do if you're not sleeping is to stay in bed and try to sleep for adults. So why do we think that a tiny person that doesn't have any communication skills and needs more sleep than us would just like choose to stay awake. No, they're going to sleep when they need sleep. Um, now the environment of sleep thing, again, I think is interesting. Both sets of our parents, uh, all three sets, I guess, uh, said the same thing. Like don't give them a perfect sleeping environment, right? They took it a little too far. They're like, oh, run the vacuum around them on purpose and stuff. I don't, you don't need to do that. But like, she can sleep in our office. She spent the first six months of her life, a lot of it in our office as Sloan got back to work after three months and coronavirus and all that stuff. So she would sleep at the front desk, you know, with Bridget, who was kind of our pseudo nanny. Uh, I mean, she can sleep in a restaurant. Like that wasn't us doing that. We just took her where we were. And she can't sleep through a podcast. Yeah. Podcast <laughs> is the break point. Um, but we didn't set that up. Again, we're just paying attention to her needs, which if any of us did, we'd be a lot better for it. But here's an interesting thing. I know, and here's the counter argument, right? There are people that stay on a device all night that aren't technically, you know, insomniacs that will just, you know, not sleep. There are people that overeat. They don't listen to those kind of primal instincts. There are people that don't eat because of eating disorders. So the argument of this organism knows its body is preceded by you have to listen to your body. It's my belief that a tiny person, aka baby like Maddox, hasn't had the social interruption to create a different frame of reference of not listening or being overly aware of what's going on in your body, right? Should be pretty intuitive at this stage. 
And then we kind of get, you know, um, I was just listening to uh, Tim Ferriss' podcast with Jim Lore, and he said that the subconscious voice is formed around five years old, and that voice is coming from your parents or, you know, the people you're surrounded by. And then, you know, when you listen to that voice, what the voice says is really determined by those people around you. Well, that's when we start thinking about, like, you know, you have uh, kind of precognition, the thought before the thought. You're thinking, well, what caused me to think that? Why am I doing that? I don't think she's there yet. Right? Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. I don't know if anybody knows. But, you know, sleep has been largely unscheduled. She gets plenty of sleep. She sleeps through the night most of the time. This past few weeks, um, you know, kids go through, what do you call it? Sleep regressions. Sleep regressions. She's been waking up a couple times a night. She's also eating more um, in general. So, like, that's normal, right? At least it has been for Maddox to kind of be a month. She just sleeps awesome. All of a sudden, two, three weeks, she's up three times a night. But it's pretty easy to get her get her back to bed. Um, outside of that, anything you can think of? I mean, my go-to for getting her to take a nap, especially when I'm at the office, is put her in her stroller, take her for a walk, out. So it's it's not me forcing her. Like, I've realized that's something that, you know, knocks her out. Like, a lot of parents drive around in the car. Like, that's all good and well. Like, find something, but don't... This would be my advice with only having one kid that's just 10 months old. Don't force them to go to sleep. Right. Like, don't I don't think I would say, man, I'm really busy. Um, it's noon. I think she should take a nap. I'm going to go walk around the stroller and think that she's just going to fall asleep. She may not because she's not tired. Right. And then you get frustrated. They're frustrated. Like, I just think it adds more, you know, fuel to the fire of not getting where you want to go. I think a point to make is um, a lot of things that like a lot of people sleep train. And I just was everything that I read about it. I, I it just didn't sit right with me. Not saying it's wrong. It just it felt like it would not have fit Bo and I's life. And um, one of the things, one of the reasons for sleep training was um, a baby is supposed to learn how to self-soothe. They're supposed to ha- learn how to put themselves to sleep. Not be, not use a swing, not use breastfeeding, not use a walk to to learn to fall asleep, but actually teach themselves how to fall asleep. And I think that kind of goes in the same realm as learning how to sit up. So you're encouraged, like even the pediatrician would encourage us to teach her how to sit. Which is and one of the questions they ask you when you go in for developmental checkups. Like the last one I went in was technically your, it was before nine months we had to cancel. But they ask like, you know, is she able to cruise? You know, which means like you hang on to the, her hands. And I was like, no, we don't do that. Well, in the literature they gave me after six months, it instructed me to, teach her how to sit and that's just such an innate behavior of a, of a human being I don't think that we need to instruct on you know I don't think we need to teach her how to sit I don't think that we need to teach her how to sleep I think you know um, it's a baby is a baby and to force almost like adulthood on them like they have to sleep for 12 hours uninterrupted I just don't think that that's natural um, so and I revert back to, just because it's a subject matter that I've read a ton on, have a lot of interest. If you look at like indigenous people, especially uh, Native Americans, like it was never self-soothed. The, the baby slept in the same, you know, whatever you want to call it, sleep sacks, skins, whatever, as the mother and the father, right? I mean, a lot of reasons for that, like warmth, it's a small area, safety. Uh, but there was no like, oh, the baby's going to be by themselves and just cry. And then if you look at overall tribal structure of 
child rearing across like the globe, what do you see in general? The big goal of a kid is to soothe using a bunch of people in the tribe, right? It's, you know, multiple tribes. It's known that like a baby has 20 moms and 20 dads or, you know, they spend much less time on the ground than we would think is necessary to develop movement because they're being held all the time, right? Like, so there's a lot of different things where I always kind of revert back and I'm like, well, people that have been doing it a certain way for thousands of years and then we've been doing it a certain way for a couple hundred years and the kids that are coming out of the way we've been doing it the last couple decades, hate to tell you, more allergic than ever, worse uh, focus and attention issues than ever. Chronic, uh, chronic diseases. Chronic diseases, obesity. Uh, they're the first generation that's predicted to live a shorter time span than um, their parents by five years. So you talk about that and that's where I'm like, I don't really care what book came out in the last, you know, even my generation, like from the 80s, 90s, early 2000s, like, hey, let's look about two to three decades earlier. I'm not saying that means we go back to churning our own butter and living on the farm. I'm saying what was different. And a lot of people talk about this, like the, you know, the, uh, you know, like how oh, what's it's the friendly I'm blanking. I apologize. But basically that you need, you know, kids need to be out playing in dirt. Uh, kids that have dogs in the house, as much as I don't like dog hair on the ground, are rarely allergic to dogs, right? Because they get introduced to dander and the proteins and the hair at an early age. But like... She's been introduced. Yeah. Yeah. More than I would like. She's like a dust mop. Um, but it's more than that, right? We know there's beneficial bacteria to, you know, our microbiome that's in soil and on soil that's on our vegetables that we eat like we need to be in a what seems like a less hygienic scenario overall right not just don't think germs or you know cleanliness think less hygienic in terms of like movement and sleep as well right less i don't know if i'd say less structure because if we look at like play research less uh, humanized less concocted right like we know that kids need to have free play right where they just do their own thing which you know we got her a tp and get back to the indigenous people uh uh we got her a tp because she likes covered places right she likes being under a blanket but like she'll already go in that tp and play by herself right and kind of you know do her own thing and there's a lot of kids that won't do that right they need constant entertainment whether it's from a parent or somebody else or a you know a media device of some sort but like think less hygienic of you know structuring right less sleep structure uh diet does it do we have to be so restrictive and you know this kid can't have this can't have that or you know i mean not i don't want them to eat a bunch of crap that's not what i'm saying but like a diverse palate um also you know talking about food just going ahead the way that you're seeing kids facial structures and jaw structures and soft palate form uh, improperly and poorly, which then has a whole plethora of issues behind it, is largely due to the highly processed foods that we start feeding them at an early age, right? So as soon as they have teeth, they can start masticating or chewing. And, you know, again, if we look a couple centuries ago that we weren't eating, you know, Cheerios and pouches, that kids were having to chew on some meat. Uh, you know, I think it's funny, the popularity of, I bought some the other day, uh, Beef jerky. It's now called biltong because biltong is air-dried beef jerky instead of oven-dried or dehydrated. But it's just, you know, we're always seeing these rewilding or, you know, movements. I just say less structure, but they're, 
you know, microcosms of structure in there, right? You just don't adhere to these rigid schedules because humans aren't a rigid organism, right? Highly adaptable, highly evolved. We're a super organism with a bunch of other stuff going on. So, I mean, we covered a bunch of topics. I knew we were going to get a little um, wide and not so deep on this podcast. But the last thing I just want to touch on is for Sloan and I just to talk about, and Sloan's got to feed her real quick, so she may not be in the camera here, but what was one of our biggest challenges or general piece of advice overall from this past year? And I'll go ahead and go because Sloan's trying to help her out. Maybe that's one of the biggest challenges. I'll tell you my biggest challenge is I'm a very talking about humans aren't a very rigid uh, organism um i'm a very structured organized uh sorry someone's gotta go feed her uh organized uh regimented scheduled person and it's been very hard for me to let the reins go but um uh, you know a lot of people you know, say the old adage that children were sent here to teach you a lesson um, or teach you something that you didn't know about yourself. Uh, maybe that's what I need is I need less structuring, right? I need to destructure to build more enjoyment and, you know, make myself better, but also to, uh, you know, I've heard, I don't know how many Matthew McConaughey podcasts in the past month with his book, Green Lights, which is a really good book coming out. But he talks about make the selfish things that you do selfless and the selfless things that you do selfish. And all he means is like, if I decide to live a healthier life and eat healthy food and exercise, then Maddox gets a better, uh, you know, example of how to do that. And if I speak to her in such a manner that's positive and affirming and, you know, challenging in a, a good way, then maybe that subconscious voice that's formed by five is, you know, um, more, it, helps improve her life, which I'm being selfish by being healthy and, you know, trying to be a better person, but it's selfless to make other people, you know, better. And then, you know, the selfless things that, you know, I don't, you know, I don't really know where I'm going with this, but, you know, if you're going to do something for your child or anybody else, like what do you, do you get something out of that? Or do you feel like it's a chore? And then, you know, you haven't need to have the conversation with yourself of why do you feel like that? Like if I, you know, Maddox isn't the age where she can ask to go do something, but if she likes, you know, right now it's, it may be just like crawling around the living room. Well, I probably need to get down and crawl around the living room, right? And most people, you know, adults would benefit from getting down on the ground and moving around and not doing things that they do very often. And it's one of the complaints that we hear a lot from, uh, you know, whether it's parents or grandparents in our practices that they simply can't get down on the ground and play with their their children or grandchildren like they want to uh, because of pain or lack of mobility. So maybe that selfless thing of getting down and playing at her level is actually selfish and it's improving my ability to move and interact with my environment better. Um, I don't, maybe I'll step in and go ahead and uh, maybe put words in her mouth. But I think one of the biggest challenges for Sloan has definitely been uh, kind of having the split role of mom and then doctor. And this was one of her early challenges and a weird year to have a kid, right? That COVID. And so it was kind of hyper, uh, hyper vigilant quarantine for Sloan because you had a baby and then COVID was here and you're on maternity leave. So it was like, she didn't see anybody, you know, except FaceTime and stuff for definitely the first month. My mom stayed after Maddox was born. So that was good. But 
it was just, Sloan's a very social person, so she had to kind of cut herself off. But what she started to realize, you know, even I think it took less than three months for sure that she was back in the practice a little bit, just seeing a few people here and there. A, because she feels, you know, that's one of those things that is selfish. Selfish? Ooh, maybe that's the mix that we need to uh, mechanicize. But, uh, you know, that's one of her selfless acts that's selfish. Like she wants to help people, but it's also selfish because she's a social being. And she even said this to me not too long ago. Like she said, I need to treat people. Like I need that interaction. I need that problem solving. And I just need the social aspect. Um, so I just think it's, uh, you know, for her, it's been the split or this dichotomous role of like, hey, I'm a mom and then I got to be a doctor. But when we had Maddox in the office in the beginning, Sloan was like, I can't think anytime I hear her cry. I can't, you know, she felt like she was a bad doctor because she was so, uh, you know, sidetracked anytime she thought that Maddox needed her um, that we kind of had to figure out like, oh, we can't. Like, that's not a good scenario. So now, a couple of days a week, Sloan's in here seeing people. I watch Maddox, and then we flip. That's been a much better fit. Um, you know, that I think that's one of her biggest challenges, and that's probably a lot of parents' big challenges. You know, how do I keep... And we were talking about, you know, what do we want to get out of this year? And I don't think she might be sharing. And I said, you know, I want to continue to chase, you know, my true purpose or what I'm really... Uh, what really creates kind of awe and inspiration in my life and like what I want to do rather than just chasing money and feeling like I've got to, you know, make a living and an income, especially with having a family. Cause that does weigh on me that like, man, I'm responsible for other people. But again, being selfish to be selfless, I have to follow what I believe to be my drivers of my highest purpose. So then I think Maddox and both Sloan see an example of that, but Sloan even said that, you know, um, she wanted her, you know, goal of this year to, f to feel like herself again, to feel normal. Again, totally a normal thing that I, I a lot of moms, you know, talk about, uh, me not being a mom, but you know, hearing Sloan talk about it and then, uh, her talking about other people and commiserating that I think that's totally normal, but man, what a weird time to say that we want to feel like ourselves again. Um, and I think we're all having to adapt fast, move fast and, think on our feet about how we're going to get back to the things that are important to us. And I, maybe that's, you know, if we dug in with Sloan, that's what she'd be saying there that, yeah, she wants to feel like herself again, but she wants to find out like, what do I, what are the things I need to do? Or, you know, how do I need to think or how do I need to treat myself or, you know, what environment do I need to be in to feel like myself rather than like, you have to have a plan, right? It's not, it doesn't just happen. Just like it's 2021, all the same stuff's here that we were dealing with. It's just a, it's a calendaric event, right? Well, I was trying to yammer long enough to get Sloan back in here, but I don't think that's going to happen. Uh, I hope you guys are digging the shows. I know this is, uh, I think this is going to be episode 20. Uh, if you don't mind and you're an avid listener, new listener, uh, A, make sure you're subscribing if you somehow happen upon this and you're not subscribing to the podcast. Also, I highly suggest subscribing to the farm, uh, Farmer's Almanac. Uh, you can do that on chirofarm.com. Just scroll down to the bottom of the page. And uh, as always, if you want to leave us a review on iTunes or Spotify, that just kind of helps us get the show out there if you think we're saying good stuff. Or if you have comments, concerns, questions, uh, you can always uh, find us on social media. I'm at Dr. Bowbeard, and it's at Dr. Sloanbeard on Instagram, Facebook, uh, Twitter, all that fun stuff. So I appreciate you guys listening. Uh, I hope you enjoy your New Year's. Uh, don't worry about resolutions. Just keep 
getting better than you were yesterday, or as we would say, better than before. And I'll see you guys next time. Mm -hmm.